First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of NFP, the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, combining local expertise with access to global capabilities and solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. It is my privilege and honor as chairman of the Board of Trustees to introduce Pamela Witten as the 19th president of Indiana University. Pamela. I've always considered IU to be among the best public universities in the country. And so, so I am humbled and I am honored and I am excited to be joining IU. History made at Indiana University. Pamela Witten becomes the school's 19th president, the first woman to lead IU, already inspiring that next generation of Hoosier women. We are so excited to have another great female leader to look up to. We are so proud of you and can't wait to see what you accomplish here. You're such an inspiration to future generations of women. We're looking forward to your leadership here on campus. An accomplished educator, researcher, and internationally recognized expert in telemedicine who finally landed her dream job. Get to know Indiana University President Pam Witten on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Deck. Pam Witten grew up in the suburbs of Nashville, Tennessee, but she's always had her eye on Indiana. Her journey to get here took her through a number of states and roles at the University of Kansas, Michigan State University, and the University of Georgia. Most recently, she served as president of the second largest public university in Georgia, Kennesaw State, where she led the school to two straight years of record growth. And I am very pleased to be joined on the Business and Beyond podcast by IU President uh, Pam Witten. President Witten, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. My pleasure. And you know, I was going to say the new president, you're not the new president anymore. You know, you've been you've been in the jo- on the job now for uh, just over six months. Uh, do, do you feel like you're you're settling into your role? I do. I do. You know, the way I describe it is that it feels like things are coming into focus. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things. And I know probably like drinking out of a fire hose in many respects, but you had so many things going on, so many moving parts as you get into a role uh, at a major university like IU. Has anything, and you've traveled around the state, uh, certainly to all the campuses and met with many, many people. Has anything surprised you at all or or been uh, maybe not what you expected? Yeah, I I think the thing that has perhaps impressed me the most is just the significant footprint of Indiana University. Uh, you know, uh, when you're when you're coming from outside the state of Indiana, you have a sense of what it is, but it really takes being on the ground and and to you know to reference your point, you know, visiting on a on a pretty regular basis, you know, all five of our regional campuses and certainly IUPUI and and Bloomington and you know the fact that we have the biggest med school in the country with nine campuses of its own. There's no part of the state of Indiana that we don't touch. You know, I want to talk about uh, your visits around the state, but but something that that you know I thought about it uh, doing a little research and uh, read a, a piece about uh, this being your dream job, and I'd be interested in in your thoughts on that and why this is a dream job for you. And that night before, because I read this, the night before you were you were introduced, I think as president, you, you talk about you know not being able to sleep. Take us back to that. 
kind of that night before you were you were introduced in in kind of what your mindset was? Well, I guess I would um, urge listeners to think about when they were kids, if they celebrated Christmas, you know, that night before when you anticipated something pretty wonderful happening or starting or starting the next day, and that's that's really what the that feeling was like the night before I, I was announced. And then, you know, the um, issue or, or what's so impressive or, or, or so important to remember in terms of IU is really understanding, as I referenced before, the breadth and scope. And so, you know, what, what made this position really my dream job was, was the range of opportunity. Um, you know, I uh, had spent many years, of course, in the Big Ten. Uh, so coming back to the Midwest was wonderful. It's, it's really the space and the place where my husband and I feel the most comfortable in terms of, of values and approach to life and how people treat one another. Certainly the type of academic institution that we have in, in Bloomington. Uh, you know, I started my academic career at, as uh, a faculty member in an academic um, medical center back in Kansas, as you referenced. So the chance to come back and work with not only, um, a, you know, a wonderful and large med center, but one that was so committed to doing groundbreaking, you know, research. Uh, and then, of course, you know, my latest gig at Kennesaw State and the opportunity to work at an urban institution and and an appreciation for the potential and all that IUPUI can be, you know, the the, the culmination of that, along with our, our impact in regional parts of Indiana, you know, really just just made this a dream job. And it has not disappointed. Yeah. You, you know, Mitch, I want to talk about your time at Kennesaw State as well, especially that that correlation to to IUPUI, but you you spent time here, a significant time at the big in the Big Ten at Michigan State. Has, has the Big Ten, as as I say, a conference, and I'm by that I mean the schools, the academic institutions, the research engines. Has the Big Ten conference, the schools, has it changed at all since the time you were at Michigan State? You know, I think that um, there's no bias on my part, of course. Um, but I think the Big Ten, uh, when we speak of a conference, you know, we can talk about sports in a separate point. But when we think right. about you know, the combination of schools from an academic perspective, you know, I think it is, you know, frankly, the elite powerhouse conference in the United States. You know, if you look at the the institutions across the Big Ten, you know, um, we are in large part really the research powerhouses, you know, across the United States, the type of scholarship that is performed, the number of PhD students, the number of, you know, undergraduates um, from all types of backgrounds that are able to, to launch their academic career at our institutions, you know, the experience, um, you know, the, the focus on, on diversity and equity now at our institutions, you know, the, the whole the whole picture, I think, really sets the institutions apart that, that are in the Big Ten. And, um, you know, I think that with that comes responsibility really for for the rest of the country to to really lead by example in terms of how exemplar academic institutions really really should operate yeah you you are a groundbreaker certainly at IU the first woman to lead the university something I know when as you started your career in education uh, a certain your educational uh, journey probably weren't a lot of opportunities at that time for women in higher education but now as you look at the big Ten, you're at IU, and there are a number. I think there are five or six uh, women leading Big Ten universities. Yes, you know, if you look at the the new interim president of Michigan as a woman too, I think we're closing in on fifty percent, or pretty close to fifty percent, being females in the, in the Big Ten. Of course, that just feels natural to us. Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's how, that's how the world will work. And yeah. the, and my and I will say, my female colleagues, certainly as well as my male colleagues in Big Ten, are are all really outstanding leaders. 
Yeah. You mentioned Kennesaw State is where you came from more uh, most immediately and your your time there leading that university, a uh, second largest uh, university, I believe, in the in the Georgia system, an urban university in Atlanta. And, and you mentioned it, and I was curious about it as well, your time there, your experience there, and, and how does that correlate to how, how you view opportunities uh, going forward at an institution like IUPUI, which is such an economic engine, certainly for, for central Indiana and even more broadly, the state of Indiana? You know, it's funny, we, you know, we have these experiences in life that we don't necessarily know are going to help prepare us for, for where we end up. And, you know, I had been at, um, you know, kind of more traditional schools, right? Uh, Kansas, Michigan State, uh, Georgia, before going to Kennesaw State. And, and, and Kennesaw State really opened my eyes into, you know, the type of, of campus, the type of opportunity that you have in an urban institution. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience. And, you know, you really see it across multiple avenues. You see uh, the opportunities uh, for what you can accomplish in terms of a more diverse student body. Um, you know, the opportunity for really, um, you know, expanding and changing lives, for example, with more first generation uh, college students as well that, that attend your school that we often see in, in urban settings. Uh, it's an interesting time. You know, more and more students, even traditional students, are looking at the opportunities available in an urban setting and choosing to go to college in that setting because of experiences and internships and lifestyle that that they prefer in an urban setting. And so, so it's an, you know, it's an interesting transition time. And of course, with that also comes the opportunity to really have an impact on your city and your region, you know, from an economic perspective, from a quality of life perspective, uh, you know, from, from an impact on, on health and other aspects of life. And, you know, that's where IUPUI, I think, has done amazing, wonderful things, but also still has a lot of runway uh, to, to really build and expand upon that and, and reach the potential. Uh, and really, I would argue our responsibility to serve Indianapolis and beyond. Yeah. I would, could you expand on that? Because uh, again, and I, I, I don't think it's an, an overstatement at all that, that the importance of IUPUI on, in particular on Indianapolis and the central Indiana region. But, uh, you know, over time, I think there has been, well, I know there's been, you know, a level of competitiveness that maybe in some, some instances hasn't been necessarily positive between Bloomington and, and Indianapolis. You see runway, you see opportunity. How, how do you see that maybe taking shape in, in future years with in terms of the role that that IUPUI has in the state? You know, I've heard that reference before, that competitiveness between IUPUI and IU Bloomington. And I, I will confess that it confuses me. Um, you know, both campuses, I would argue, are, are extraordinary. And of course, we're all part of Indiana University. And on my watch, those days are gone. Um, you know, we we will we will celebrate each other's uh, successes. And, you know, each campus has the opportunity to rise and contribute in ways that only benefit students and you know people in the state and beyond. And so I think it's an exciting time to look at, at having the opportunity to support and celebrate one another as well. And so I I, I think you'll um I think you'll be seeing, hopefully you'll be seeing a real attitude shift and change as we recognize that we all rise um, when we rise independently. Yeah, you've made a point uh, of saying collaboration is very important and will be very important uh, during your your time there at Indiana University, as you look uh, to the north uh, to uh, Purdue University, and how fortunate we are in Indiana to have two great institutions like IU and Purdue, what do you see as collaboration opportunities or opportunities to work with Purdue, two different universities, two different missions, 
that each very important. What do you see as those opportunities? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for thank you for that question. Um, it has really been my pleasure the the opportunities I've had to you know work with and correspond with Purdue, particularly with their president uh, Mitch Daniels, and we, as you referenced, are incredibly fortunate in the state of Indiana to have two you know really such extraordinary universities in Indiana University and in Purdue. Uh, now, before I go too far, I do want to remind everyone that we did enjoy the victory over Purdue. Not too <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Um, and, and we'll continue to enjoy that. And there's a couple of days and uh, days of the year when we will uh, we will agree to disagree as institutions. Um, but there's really a lot we can do together. And so uh, we're already having discussions and and some activity related to partnering and working together for you know economic impact on the state for uh, you know what the role that we can play to make sure that we are preparing uh, students for the careers not only today in the state of Indiana but those that will be coming around in, in future days as well. President Daniels and I have also had conversations about having very mutual shared interest in not only uh, recruiting uh, talent to the state of Indiana to go to school at our institutions and talent within the state of Indiana to stay here and go to our institutions. But we also are like-minded in wanting to keep those people in the state of Indiana beyond their graduation as well. And so we have we have uh, multiple uh, conversations and things in the work to try to, to try to reach that those goals together as, as well. So I'm grateful uh, to have yeah. you know yeah. Purdue, Purdue up the road. And again, grateful to um, have them come visit Bloomington anytime um, when, when we could beat them in basketball. Yeah. How, how about your, what would you, how would you describe your relationship with President Daniels? He's certainly been uh, an innovator in his time in higher education. How, how would you describe uh, your, your uh, relationship with, uh, with Mitch Daniels? Well, President Daniels um, ha- has really been warm and welcoming from day one. I mean, we literally had dinner together within my first months, really, if not first weeks as, as president of Indiana. So he has been very generous in offering any time, um, you know, to, to provide counsel or or even to discuss things that we're interested in terms of pursuing together for the for the state. So um, it's it's a it's a very positive relationship. And I enjoy very much having him as a colleague. Yeah. You've talked also about, as kind of a segue out of the IU-Purdue relationship, but you've talked a lot about, uh, I, I think, lifting up the state of Indiana and, and how Indiana University can help lift up the state of Indiana. As you look at, just generally speaking, uh, what what ways can, can IU play a role? Uh, certainly over the years, there's been a lot of engagement around the state of Indiana from IU and in various communities. But as you look at, at opportunities, be it partnerships with the business community or individual communities, how do you see Indiana University playing a role, maybe even an enhanced role in economic development, community engagement around the state? I think the the key word you just said was enhanced role. I think there's been a lot of of good work that's been done, and, a, and certainly a lot of goodwill and good intention. Uh, I think this is this is the time for us to step up and be more comfortable uh, asserting our availability to to assist and perhaps even even serve in a, a lead role occasionally as well. And so that certainly means in uh, recruiting new industry to the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are, we're very, very proud of the students that we put out who will be the, the current workforce. And we are very happy to spread that message as appropriate to recruit industry to the state of Indiana, uh, both large and small. And that certainly can mean, um, you know, big corporate partners that come in, but it can also mean, you know, more regional activity 
activities as well. You know, uh, we, we want to be aggressive and helpful in places like Gary and, you know, Kokomo and Richmond and other areas as well. So, you know, both statewide as well as local and regional initiatives in that area. Um, we're also interested in, in um, frankly, listening and helping and cooperating as well. We want employers and future employers to be communicating with us what they need or they think they need in future workers so that we can create those opportunities both in the classroom and experiences outside the classroom to make sure that students that are graduating with an IU degree are prepared to meet that that need as well. So we recognize that we need to listen to. Yes, certainly the the impact of Indiana University, a major research institution, is, is research and there have been rec- record numbers set in that area at Indiana University. I know that's one of your focus areas as well. As you look at research, because it's such an economic engine for the state, whether it's Bloomington or Indianapolis related to to IU, how do you see research playing, again, an enhanced role or an even greater role in the Indiana economy going forward? Are there opportunities? I mean, the research engine has been very powerful to date, but is is there the opportunity to ramp that up? There is absolutely the opportunity. And, you know, if you, if you look around at other states that have successfully launched, uh, you know, research cooperatives or, or, or concentrated, you know, thematic research areas, those investments have paid off so well for those states. And, and we see that in Indiana and we think there's an opportunity for more. And so, of course, uh, you know, one large example from Indiana University would be the research from our School of Medicine. And, uh, you know, we just announced that we had last year in 2020, 21, we had the best funded research year ever, uh, particularly from the National Institute of Health, which is the, the gold standard for research investment. And so we are, uh, I think we were 27th in the country now, if I remember correctly. We're 14th in terms of public medical schools in the amount of research. And it is groundbreaking, life-changing research in Alzheimer's and cancer, um, pediatric areas as well. Um, but with that also comes often the development of, of uh, products and drugs and services that can translate into economic development for a region. And so we recognize that and and really think it's important to invest even more heavily um, to, to have a significant impact on, on the medical and the biomedical um, economic infrastructure in the state of Indiana. So you'll be seeing more investment from us in that area. Yeah. How about telemedicine? Because obviously that's an area of uh, your expertise, you're recognized around the globe for your uh, expertise in telemedicine. Does that hold opportunities specifically here in the state of Indiana? And I'm thinking also uh, uh, rural and smaller communities around the state. It does. It does. And thank you for acknowledging that. About a million years ago, when I was a regular old college <laughs> professor myself, um, my research area was in, in the field of telemedicine and specifically looking at access and you know health and cost outcomes. And we did it for many years and, and there was a lot of good work. But those of us in the research field you know, kind of look at that pandemic and go, wow, it only took a pandemic, right, for telemedicine to, to really become u- ubiquitous and, and there to be increased expectations. And it is definitely an opportunity for us to enhance access um, to, to health services. And that's important in Indiana. You know, we have a lot of markers where let's just say um, we are not punching up to our weight in terms of the health status of our citizens. And so we need to look at all kinds of solutions and certainly accessing healthcare services and monitoring through telemedicine will be one important tool for us to use. Yeah. Okay. Before we go to a break, I know you're a big sports fan, right? I am. What's, what's it been like, uh, uh, you know, settling into the big 10 uh, again and rooting the basketball team. You mentioned the, 
win over Purdue. You've had some other big wins on the guy's side. But what I want to ask you about, the, the lady Hoosiers have become a really a national power in, in, in basketball. That's a pretty exciting story. It's a very exciting story. Um, you know, our, our, our women's team, of course, is is very well coached, as, as we know. Um, but also, just we just we just have a powerhouse. And gosh, uh, we when we played Purdue recently, I think we had um, over eight thousand people attend wow. that game. So yeah. People are showing up to support our, our women as they should. They play just just fantastic basketball. Um, I will say we had fun just as an anecdote um, when we had, we had a little snow a little while ago, we had a game against Minnesota. And, and so because we had gone remote, um, the only folks that could show up were, were the teams basically to the right. game. But my husband and I found our way over there and literally um, got to watch a basketball game that felt like it was put on for the two of us. As we sat on the- <laughs> nice. We had, a, we had a nice win over Minnesota that, that night as well. And so it is a team to be reckoned with. And let's just say I'm looking very forward to the dance this spring and my expectations that they'll do very well. Very good. Well, listen, when we come back, we'll explore Pam Witten's journey to the president's office at IU, where she grew up. Um, where she's been and why education as a career really didn't come into focus right away. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of National Financial Partners, the fifth largest insurance broker and consultant in the world. Develop your total reward strategies all in one place with the combination of First Person's local expertise and NFP's global resources and integrated solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Indiana University President Pam Witten. And uh, Pam, you've moved around a bit uh, over your, your lifetime. Would you consider yourself, though, a Tennessean? You were born near Nashville, spent some time in Memphis. What, 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 did you consider yourself uh, kind of a native Tennessean? when people ask me where I'm from, I'm one of those people that doesn't have a good answer. Um, so lived in the Midwest when I was a little kid, lived in, in Tennessee, as you referenced, until high school. And then my parents moved to New England. So I went to high school in New England and then turned around and went back down to New Orleans to go to college before the grand adventure began. So I'm just one of those people that people ask me where I'm from. Sometimes I just want to say, where would you like me to be from? <laughs> Great. Well, what, tell, tell me, what was uh, life like growing up in, in Tennessee? What was uh, through your high school years, what uh, what was uh, your 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 young life like? No, I was just a just a just a regular kid. I grew up in a just a lovely family. Um, I was one of four children. Uh, I actually have a sister a year older and a twin brother, and so there were three of us packed pretty close together, very very close. You know, as well. Um, you know, I, I I grew up, uh, you know, really in the in the 70s in that time period. Went to college in the 80s, and so you know, before we had media the way we do. So when I did move from Tennessee to Rhode Island. I had a really thick Southern accent and <laughs> I can remember being a brand new freshman and walking around the halls of high school and, and the, the kids up North would say, Oh, just talk, just say something. And <laughs> I tell you that, that will make um, a 14 year old lose her accent very quickly. Uh, yeah. Know, under, yeah. Under, under that kind of pressure. So um, just, 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 just kind of regular, happy childhood. Were you, were you, you know, focused really on academics to play sports, extracurriculars? What, what, what kind of occupied most of your time? 
I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I had, had a decent social life, um, uh-huh. you know, particularly in high school. <laughs> but I was, you know, I, I was a kid who uh, focused a lot on academics and, um, you know, was in what, what was at the time. This was, you know, this was life before AP courses and things like that. So I was in what was called the advanced track, which was just a glorified way of saying we took everything a, a year earlier. Right. Um, yeah. Than the other kids. Did, did you did you have a do you remember back to did you have a favorite a favorite teacher or a teacher who really made an impact on your life? Oh my gosh. You know, in high school, um it was a teacher um I'm not even sure if I could remember her say her name right. It was like Miss Kostikowski, but she was my biology teacher in the ninth grade. Uh-huh. And I just love that class. You know, it was you know, first ex- exposure to kind of high school uh, science and it was just you know, I'd like to think that the material was so interesting. In hindsight, she was probably just an exceptional teacher that made the material so interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned social media uh, a minute ago. I'd be interested in, in your take on, for all the positives of social media, and there are are some, there are a lot of negatives as well. The social media, how do you view social media in, in the purview of, of higher education? Does it make it more challenging today with you know, social media and the fact if something happens, it's immediately out there, whether good, bad, or indifferent. How do you view social media? Well, I think I would say first and foremost, um, it is, it exists. And so it doesn't do us much good to to lament some of the challenges that, that it brings to us. You know, I would say, you know, in, in balance, the, the opportunities are tremendous, right? The opportunities to share different perspectives and share information in such a timely way. You know, certainly as we moved into uh, a crisis like a pandemic, um, it was wonderful to have a means to reach people so quickly. You know, the, I mean, I think the challenge that we all know we face with it is how often inaccurate information um, mm-hmm. is 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 not maybe post isn't so much the word, but, but, you know, accept it. Right. And people kind of are running with that before you can correct the situation, you know, for them. And so, you know, I would think in higher ed or any larger organization, that's one of the bigger challenges is just dealing with, you know, misinformation or misassumptions because it just spreads so fast, you know, as as well. But, but again, I I think it's important to also focus on the opportunities it, it brings to us to do a better job serving our students as well. So you mentioned you grew up, in Nashville uh, area, Tennessee, moved to New England. How did you end up at Tulane for for your undergrad work? Again, I wish I had a really good answer. Um, when I was 18 years old, I was really interested in getting as far away from home as I could. Right. Um, I love my family. My parents were all very close, but I just wanted a great adventure. And uh, I, I ended up at Tulane, and we'll just leave it at that. And it was a good adventure. <laughs> Good. Now, now, how about your your interest in telemedicine? As I read that, did that really develop when you were at at Kansas, at the University of Kansas? And as as I I think I read somewhere, you basically kind of went knocking on doors, uh, looking for opportunities to to match your 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 background. I think in technology and medicine, and and wound up on the, at the telemedicine uh, doorstep. That's that's really a true story. And, you know, I, I try to share that with students as much as I can to kind of talk about how we can accidentally make amazing opportunities for ourselves. And so when I was a, a PhD student at the University of Kansas, uh, I was interested in both healthcare and, and technology. And you have to remember, this was well before anything that we have now. Um, we weren't even regularly using email at the time. I'll, I'll right. put them mm-hmm. there. 
Um, so, but I was interested in the two. And so I went 30 miles up the road to KU Medical Center and literally knocked on doors and said, hi, I'm Pam Witten. I'm a new PhD student. I'm interested in healthcare and technology. Is there anything interesting going on? And after I would say four or five knocks, I found this thing called telemedicine. There were only four programs in the country at the time. And I persuaded the medical school to fund me that summer to basically fly around the state and study it and find out, learn about it and find out why it wasn't really being used that much. And, and then came back with ideas and recommendations. And, and from that, you know, basically came a research agenda. And so knock on a few doors. Sometimes that'll, that'll bring you to some great places. Yeah. And, and telemedicine certainly has come of age for a number of reasons. Uh, and, and certainly the pandemic, I think, has accelerated its acceptance. How would you view how do you view telemedicine as as an important tool in our everyday life? I think um, I think we've moved past questioning uh, you know a lot of things we can do via technology because of the the convenience that it offers, right? And so you know, in my early years of telemedicine, we we did a, we did a lot of studies just to look at the the quote efficacy, and that's just a fancy way of saying that you're making sure it's doing what it's supposed to do, that you can diagnose the right thing, right? And um, and found pretty quickly in almost all disciplines, it's efficacious. It, it does what it needs to do clinically. And um, and so there's still a desire, certainly, for, for in-person activity. We all see that in many parts of life, you know, the opportunity to build relationships, et cetera. But when push comes to shove and you live in an area, for example, uh, a rural area where there is no pediatric psychiatrist for 200 miles, mm-hmm. if you're going to bring those services to your to your young folks, you're going to need an alternative like telemedicine. And so, uh, you know, I, th- I think we've all recognized that access matters and, you know, we want to bring care to people where they are so that, that they are you know actually able to either identify something and correct it or maintain their health as, as well. Yeah. So, so your path, I should, should mention too, your path to uh, education or career in education, it really didn't start immediately, right? The education piece. You had some private sector experience. Uh, talk about that, uh, that time between uh, getting out of your educational pursuits and, and getting into uh, administration. Yeah, so I graduated from when I from college. I graduated from Tulane, and I actually got married a week later at age at age twenty one. Still married uh, to the same guy. Do the math; you'll figure <laughs> out it's been a really long time. Um, moved to Kentucky and got a master's degree, and then um, had about seven or eight years where I did work. And so I had two of my three kids during that time period, and had a couple of interesting jobs. I was in charge of corporate communications uh, for the bank in Europe that ran banking on military installations and then came back and did some uh, professional communication work in the healthcare industry. And then um, just kind of turned to my husband and said, oh, I'd really like to go get a PhD and be a college professor. And he's really this great guy. And he said, okay. And so, um, you know, you you go to the school that has uh, people and the things you want to study. So we moved to Lawrence, Kansas. So I could pursue a PhD at that point. And, and then as, as you heard earlier, you know, the rest is kind of history in terms of finding my research focus, et cetera. Yeah. The Atlanta Business Chronicle named you in 2020 among the most admired CEOs there in the Atlanta area, which I think by any description, a university president is a CEO. As you look at the qualities, the most important qualities you see in a leader, what, how would you, uh, what would you identify as those most uh, important qualities? I, you know, I, 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 I would answer that question the same and differently. Um, than I would have 10 years ago. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, of course, you learn as, as you have experience as a leader. 
And 10 years ago, I would have, and I would still talk about the need to have uh, integrity, great integrity uh, in this position. There is nothing that I would sell my soul for, um, you know, in in terms of of this job. And so always doing the right thing, Um, courage of your convictions, being willing and, and understanding that you have to make decisions that not everyone is going to like. Um, and of course, that it's, it's exacerbated by social media that we talked about a, mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. But all of that, I think, is very, very important in leadership today. Um, but I would also add that over the last 10 years, how significant it is to understand multiple perspectives, uh, to have empathy for others uh, as you move forward, uh, and, and really what a gift it is to figure out how to listen well how much wiser you're going to be not only in your decisions, but the implementation of those decisions if you're able to really, really hear what, what people are telling you. I also read Churchill is, uh, is he your most uh, admired leader? And, and if so, why? I think Churchill is fascinating for so many reasons. Um, you know, if you've read much about him, you know, you come to understand that uh, he certainly had ups and downs uh, and, and some very significant challenges and some real low points. And yet he he was really, you know, he was really a leader for his time. You know, ultimately, when he uh, did come out and, and eventually became prime minister and, and led through one of the greatest challenges in history, you know, through the Second World War, th- those things that had been challenging for him in other leadership contexts were exactly the things that Great Britain needed during that time, you know, to propel them, you know, that, you know, that, that, that strength, um, uh, the, the rhetorical and communication skills that he had, you know, his willingness to, to make decisions and, and, uh, and stick with very hard things, you know, ultimately ended up making him a great leader. And I, I think that's just a fascinating study of leadership to, to understand the different spaces and places that lead to, you know, most effective leadership. Now, as we wrap up, as you look uh, out to the next uh, uh, year plus, lots of opportunities, challenges as well. How would you kind of encapsulate what you'd like to accomplish here? What you see as opportunities uh, in the next, uh, in the coming year, twenty twenty two, and uh, into the into the next year. I think this is an incredibly exciting time for Indiana University for multiple reasons. Um, you know, part of, of what I am doing in my first year is really building a senior leadership team. Uh, you know, I inherited a, you know, a, a cabinet that was uh, majority were, had retired or moved on. And so I'm hiring 10 cabinet positions in about an eight month period. And frankly, we are um, e- either promoting or bringing in rock stars. And so we are going to have some some just phenomenal leadership which uh, will complement so well what is already extraordinary here in terms of a, a faculty base that does amazing work and, and students that I would argue really are the best in the world. So it's a great time. And so we'll be transitioning now uh, to thinking more strategically, both about very pragmatic issues that hopefully will have a positive impact on, on our students, but also dreaming big about the vision uh, that we have and, and how we're going to get there as an institution that, that will really hopefully transform the experience not only for our students but also help our faculty be to be successful and then as of course we said earlier to really benefit the the state of indiana as a whole as well it's a good time to be a part of indiana university yeah very good hey very quickly because you mentioned students i, I was i'm remiss in not bringing that up you, you have been very vocal about wanting to, to focus on students and, and talking about students should be the focus of everything you do there 
and I think you mentioned these cabinet positions. I think I, I read where one of the positions uh, will deal with students in connection uh, to the university. Talk about just briefly, if you would, that focus on students and why you feel it is, is so important. So students are the center of the university, Indiana University, full stop. They, they really are. Every decision we make, we stop and contemplate how will this positively impact a student. Um, that is that is who we are at, at Indiana University. And you have done your homework. And one of the things that was interesting to me when I, when I came here was to uh, realize there was a cabinet that did not have a senior level leader whose focus was purely on students. We did not have a vice president of, of student affairs or student success on our cabinet. Uh, that is changing. We're doing a national search right now with finalists to be on campus in April, and we will have a vice president of student success who will be there to interject students in every conversation that we have. Very good. Pam Witten, the 19th president at Indiana University, first female president to lead the university. Pam, a real treat to have you on the, uh, the podcast. And uh, thanks for all you do, not only for IU, but for the state of Indiana. Look forward to having you on the show uh, again sometime soon. Many thanks to you. Go IU. <laughs> all right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our past episodes by going to InsideIndianaBusiness.com and click on the subscribe tab. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.